Gina Della from Pella through June 30th at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 40% off installation or six-year no-interest financing. Get details now at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Sir, Philstead, before you leave, are you, are you, I'm old school. I, I have the paper calendar. Are, do you use the paper calendar, or do you have it electronically, like in your phone? I have it both, but the paper book that I have is very important, so I can see everything I, at once. Yeah, see, it, it's because it, this has been an ongoing this thing with my wife mm-hmm. and I, because she she keeps the stuff electronically. Yep. But the problem is, when when you do it that way, it's difficult to sit and just see what what the whole month yeah. looks like or what the week likes. See, I I mean, ever since I started practicing law a long time ago, I would always get the month. I've got a month at a glance calendar. Yep. And I, I was showing it her this the other day because she was saying, "Well, why are you complaining? We're really not that busy." And I, sh- I showed her June, <laughs> and and there's there's stuff literally every day in June. She's, oh my goodness gracious! You know, I said, "Look, th- this is it." But you can kind of see that. Right, you visualize. Right. Yeah. You can visualize it, but the but. And so she's like, well, what you should do is you should have both. And I'm like, well, I, I just I, I look at the calendar in the morning. So, I mean, I, I know. And, for example, I, I know why I have to go see an advertiser tomorrow mm-hmm. at 830 in the morning. And so I, I, I can only focus on stuff like a couple days ahead of time. Sure. And, and so but but she's got that there. So I, I was just telling a story because our dog groomer. Actually, the lady, she's wonderful. She runs a server. She comes out to your house, okay. you know, and so, which, which is very, very convenient for mm-hmm. everybody. So she sends me a text, says, I, I just, I've made a mistake. I, I, you know, I, I, for some reason, I have you booked like every two weeks. I know that can't be right. When do you have us down? When, when am I supposed to come next? And I said, Hey, I'm, I'm at work. My, my book is on the calendar. I don't know. So I called up Fran and I said, you know, I said, you know, what's going on? She's got a golf lesson. She didn't have a phone with her. She's like, she says, well, she's got like that little thing the apple wristwatch so <laughs> so even then i said so you've been telling me you know you you, you take the phone with you and it's the electronic thing and mm-hmm. then you'll be able to check and you can't help us out on this <laughs> uh-huh. so, I, right, so, so I, I sent annette back a note saying you're just gonna have to wait till you know I, tonight I'll, I'll send you a note i just don't know so you do both i do both and actually well so my mainly my phone one though is my family calendar which is just as busy as the work calendar but that's sometimes that's hard to integrate so there'll be times when i leave my work calendar here and I'm at home, and I'm like, dang it, I need to know the one before the other, and I, I can't. Oh. I need to co-mingle the two somehow. Well, yeah, I, for years and years, I kept the, the master calendar. I kept it here. And then I, I found that exactly that, that same thing. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like, nah. So, but it is this kind of ongoing dispute. So in this case, both the electronic calendar and the paper calendar has failed us. So, <laughs> you know, it's, You're but, SOL. Well, but I, and, and, and there's just no way. Life is too short. There is no way that I'm going to take all the stuff that's in the paper calendar, and then just constantly be updating the phone calendar. Right, I'm just, right. I just I refuse to do it. It's <laughs> it's it's just too much for you know this particular I old dog to learn I, that new trick. I okay, understand. I was I was just one. Okay, here's a note, Jeff. Just take a picture of your home calendar as needed or daily. No, <laughs> and then you're zooming in on well, it. Right? No, it's just it's <laughs> it's just. I mean, I, I again, I know what I am supposed to do today. So at the end, right. I know I know where I'm supposed to be at three fifty tonight. I I know know what's going on for dinner. I, I so, but unfortunately, the the gal who 
you know, cut shots she says she's going to have to wait a little bit to, I, for me to tell her. What, what I've discovered here in recent 21st century working world is that I do need to put on my Outlook calendar here at work, which is another digital calendar. Right. I need to put some of my personal stuff on there. Otherwise, all of a sudden, I'll be booked for a meeting that I didn't know I had right. to attend. I'm like, well, shoot, I got to make right. sure I put that doctor's appointment there and that dentist thing that I got to take the kid to. If I don't put that on there, then all of a sudden, I might be booked with someone here, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, oh it's yeah, no, it, it's just you're trying to indicate. Here's a couple other pages. Jeff, take a photo of the calendar, keep a separate folder under the photo option. But the, the problem, <laughs> but again, the problem with that is I'm constantly putting new stuff on the calendar. You know yeah, what I mean? On, right. Like, like this, this morning, I, I, I made arrangements. I, I, I booked stuff for like next Friday. You know, it's, uh, these different type of things. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that would mean I have to constantly keep Whole updating. <laughs> right. It's, it's just life is too simple. You know, life is just it's not simple uh, enough. Um, note that you can have multiple online calendars for diverse events and view any and all remotely. It's on my desk. <laughs> it's just paper. It's already it's, downloaded. Right, it's right, it, right there. It, it's right there. And th- there's while I, I unfortunately while it's a very legitimate question, she she's just going to have to wait till find out when she's on the mm-hmm. schedule next. Okay, thank you. I'm just just sort of again. I'm I'm that's this these. I'm an old dog who can in fact learn certain new tricks, but uh, I think I'm sticking with my paper calendar. I am used to that. Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jeff Wagner six twenty sent out a, a couple different tweets yesterday. One was kind of cool. One is a family thing. My um, my grandson, um, who runs Junior Varsity Track for Sussex Hamilton, I, we, we were at the track meet yesterday and waited a couple hours to, to watch him run, but we did. So there's a picture, put a picture of uh, my wife and I and my stepdaughter and just a couple of our dear friends up there as well, along with Cash. She, it was kind of fun to be there. I, I tell you, I gained added respect for these track officials. I mean, there this was a, a meet and there were like seven or eight or nine different teams that were there. It was amazing how much stuff was going on and how the officials were keeping it organized and keeping it flowing. It was um, wonderful. Also have a tweet about the Bucks. Now, I, I, I went to the track meet and then went out to dinner. And so I listened to the Bucks game and heard the end of the game on, on the radio, on WTMJ. I had taped it. And it was kind of interesting because I, I was just listening to the commentary that we were getting from, um, you know, the, from the announcers. And uh, I, I went back and then I, I just watched part of the fourth quarter to understand where the, the commentary was was coming from. And, and it responded. Here, here's my, my tweet. It was a big win for the Bucks, But may I respectfully make two observations? One, in the NBA, you are allowed to pass the ball to a teammate for a better shot. I, I was listening to it. And, and Ted Davis, who's an employee of the Bucks, Ted Davis kept saying, they're not passing the ball. All they're doing is dribbling and jacking up shots, um, which is kind of like what happens when I, I used to go to my, my nephew when he was fifth grade, his basketball team, where they were all shameless chuckers. If they got the rebound, they were running down, they were shooting the ball. I, I mean, you would almost think that somebody would want to explain to the Bucks that you know, you can pass the ball, and you might find a teammate who's open, and that teammate might be, might be able to get a better shot. So I just I, I passed that on, and my second observation was that um, my 15-year-old nephew, Alex, shoots three-pointers better than Giannis does, and and Alex needs work. I I, I just it, it here here's the best analogy I could give you. All right, let us say that I became fascinated with the idea of USO uh, UFOs and and alien life forms. 
fascinated to the point that I decided that every day between noon and one o'clock, we were going to have the UFO hour on the Jeff Wagner show. And we were only going to talk about UFOs and people who claim to have met alien life forms. And and so, you know, we, we did that over and over again. And after I can tell you predictably what would have happened is after about a, a week or so, I would have gotten whistled into the general manager's office at the end of the hall. And I went into radio to avoid meetings. So I, it would be a meeting. And I, I can just imagine the conversation. It would be, look, Jeff, um, we, we appreciate all your contributions to WTMJ over the last 20 plus years. And, 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 and we know ratings are good. We know revenue is good. We, we know you win these different recognitions and stuff. But th- this UFO hour, don't you, don't you realize that, all right, all you're doing is attracting kooks and, and nobody's listening. And we're hearing from sponsors who don't want to be associated with something that's even if the other two hours are great, they don't want to be associated with somebody spending an hour a day talking about alien life forms. What are you doing? Stop doing it. Now, I, that would be the, the conversation we would have. Jeff, we don't want to tell you how to program the show, but, you know, you, you can't do the UFO hour every day because you don't know anything about UFOs and it, it sounds kooky and it's not working. All right. Now, that would be a reasonable response from the the general manager, and it would be a predictable response, which makes me wonder why Coach Bud doesn't pull Giannis in and say, Giannis, you are an outstanding player. You are one of the best players in the league. You are vital to this team. You are an outstanding player, but you can't shoot three pointers. Why? Why do you keep doing this? Don't shoot three pointers because you can't make three pointers. And you are costing our team possessions after possession after possession. So just like I would expect to get whistled in and told, don't do the UFO hour every, um, every day. I, I think this is one where if Coach Bud wants to keep his job, because I think if the Bucks don't win this series, he's probably going to be on the way out. You, you, you really, he needs to call the team in, number one, and say, hey, pass the ball, guys. There's there's nothing wrong with finding an open man. And secondly, Giannis, we love you, but stop jacking up three-pointers until you figure out how you can make them. Just saying. When we come back, let's talk about a decision the Navy has made, and then we're going to be talking about the trolley. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. And for anybody who thinks I'm being too hard on Giannis, who is a great player, great addition, but he can't shoot three-point shots. Okay, um, he, he, um, he is 4 of 32 from the three-point range in seven playoff games. 4 of 32. Like I say, my, my 14-year-old nephew can go 4 of 32. <laughs> and and I, most of us can go four of, of 32. But for a lot of us, we're going to be told to stop shooting before that. Um, four of 32. He was he missed. He was one of eight yesterday. You just you, you, you can do that, I guess, when it's a Tuesday night in January and you're playing, you know, the Indiana Pacers and it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. But when you're in a. You know, when when you're in the second round of the NBA playoffs and you're you're playing a team that is arguably as good as you, maybe on paper better than you because they've got two more wins over the regular season, you can't just throw away possession after possession by jacking up three-pointers if you can't make them. All right, that's enough of that. All right, here's the story. Uh, there, It is still 
Very, very cool and a huge credit to be appointed to a service academy, you know, to um, get nominated to go to West Point or the Naval Academy in Annapolis or the Air Force Academy. It it is a big deal Um, in exchange for, you know, free tuition at the Naval Academy or at West Point or whatever. The deal is that you agree that you are going to make a five year commitment to the U.S. military. And now that commitment can always be weighed, but that's the deal, and that's the understanding. You're, once you graduate, you're going to serve our country for X number of years. Occasionally, what will happen is you will have, you will have somebody who plays athletics, and they're, they're just, they're, they're really, they're really, really good, and they have an opportunity for a pro career. And on occasions, doesn't happen very often, you can apply to, if it's the Naval Academy, the Secretary of the Navy, and you can ask for a waiver saying, gee, I, I'd like to defer my military commitment until after, after my pro career is over. And sometimes it gets granted. Most of the times it, it doesn't. The, the guidelines say that um, a graduate of a, na- of a military academy or the Naval Academy can have the can have their immediate, you're into the service requirement waived if there is a strong expectation that a military service academy candidate or midshipman's future professional sports employment will provide the Department of Defense with significant favorable media exposure likely to enhance national level recruiting or public affairs missions. So it's, it's a pretty broad thing. It is not granted very often. Uh, occasionally it is. Which brings me to the story of Cameron Kinley. Cameron Kinley is a defensive back who just graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy. So he, he's due to, to go into full-time service. He was the captain of the football team, and he was also the first football player to be a class president since 1991. Okay, so very accomplished guy. He was not drafted in the NFL draft, so he he wasn't selected in the draft. He is scheduled to begin his his military service um, on, on June 28th, all right? Well, what happens is, even though he's not selected in the draft, he gets an offer for a free agent contract with the Tampa Bay football team, they say, hey, let, let, you know, teams bring in all sorts of football players, you know, because they, they've got 90-man rosters in the spring, and most of the people that come in as free agents really don't have long careers in the NFL, but it's not impossible. I mean, every once in a while, you know, lightning strikes. So anyhow, he's due to begin his full-time military service. So he gets an offer of a contract from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who didn't draft him, but they say, hey, come on in, we'll, we'll give you a free agent contract and you can you know, try out at, at uh, during the summer. So he applies for a waiver, and the Secretary of the Navy turns it down, says no. Yeah, we're we're not going to we're not going to give you a waiver. Now they don't have to explain why it's the military. They don't explain why. They just say no, nope. You know you you got to report. You know you're you're not going to be able to go and you know spend mini camp or spend um, you know that go to training camp with Tampa Bay. We expect you to start your military career on June twenty eighth. All right. This has created a huge controversy. Um, NFL Players Union says it supports Cameron Kinley's attempt to postpone his service commitment. 
Um, the executive director says, hey, you know, we're, we're trying to get the NFL involved in this. You know, we want the Navy to reverse its decision. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. What, what do you feel about this? It seems to me that if you make the decision that you are going to go to one of the service academies, you understand that the commitment is that as soon as you graduate, you're going into the military and you're going to be there for five years. That's what you're getting in exchange for, again, the education and plus, you know, the room and board, all those different types of things. And and yes, I understand there is a degree of discretion. But if in this case, the Navy says, sorry, look, it's it's not like you were the top draft pick in the NFL. You know, yes, you, you have a chance to go and have, have a tryout. And I'm not disputing the fact that maybe the guy's talented. Maybe he's going to make it. But he made a commitment to go into the military. He made a commitment to do it upon graduation. Should the Navy back down? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer is is no. All right. We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right for um, for some people um, who are you have have like those institutional memories and you're saying, wait, ha- haven't there been some you know um, f- people who went on to very successful pro careers who were in the military uh, and came out of the military academies? Yeah, for example, Roger Staubach, remember the, the cowboy, the great cowboy quarterback? Yeah, he was at the Naval Academy. He he served. He served in the Navy and then took up his professional football career after he got out of the Navy. There's other examples of that as well. David Robinson, um, the all-star, all-pro, Hall of Fame uh, basketball player who played most of his career with the San Antonio Spurs. He, he, same thing. He was in the military first. He honored his commitment. And so now you have this, this player who, again, he, he might go on to have a very, very successful pro career, but he's, was undrafted. Team gives him a free agent contract and he now wants out. Military says, no, I'm sorry. I have no sympathy with the guy. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, if, if, if you want to pursue a professional football career, I say God bless you. That, that's great. If you've got that talent to do it, that that's super, and that's certainly a decision that a lot of young people make when they're coming out of high school. Gee, I, I want to play football. I'm looking to get a scholarship. Okay, that, that's fine. But if you're thinking about a career in, in this case, professional football, tells me quite honestly that I think that what you need to do is you need to think differently than going to West Point or going to the Naval Academy because there is a commitment that you make that, hey, once once you graduate in exchange for the taxpayer paid for education and room and board and specialized training, the commitment is you're going to go into active duty military, and that means at least two years of active duty service along with a five-year commitment. So you have this guy captain of the Navy football team, wasn't drafted, but he's been offered this free agent contract to come in and try out for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now he's all bent out of shape that the Navy says, no, we're not going to waive it. Well, I don't have a problem with the Navy not waiving it. 855-616-1620. Kim in Appleton. Kim, good afternoon. 
Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. I feel very strongly about this young gentleman having to fulfill his contract. It is a contract, and he made a commitment with the Navy. Um, another thing, when he took that spot at the academy, there were a lot of young men and women waiting on a waiting list yep. to get into the academy, and he did take their spot. Um, I just think a contract is a contract. He sounds like a wonderful gentleman. And the Navy, or if he went Navy, or if he went Marine Corps, they need young men and leaders, just like this man sounds like. They need him. Yeah. And, and, he'll be, and, a, he'll right. be a great leader. And, and nobody is saying that at some point in time in his life that he can't play professional football. But, I mean, he signed up and he knew that he had a commitment that at least two years of active duty, I think it's overall five years, but two years of active duty. So you, you do the two years. You stay in training, then you come back, and, it, you know, worst-case scenario, you try out for the Tampa Bay team or the Packers or, or whatever. But, yeah, I think you have to put – I don't think it's unreasonable to say, in exchange for what he's been given, you know, you, you put your active duty service career on your, – your active pursuit of professional football on hold for two years. You signed up for that. A contract is a contract. No, th- thanks for calling. And, and you know, and you make a great point that there's there's a lot of people who are on wait lists who couldn't get into the, the service academies, and and he took he took their spot. Now, if the again, if the Secretary of the Navy decided, all right, we're we're willing to. We're willing to let this guy do it. We're willing to make an exception for him that we didn't make for Roger Staubach or we didn't make for David Robinson and we didn't make for these other players. Well, you know, okay, you know, that that would be their decision. But it's kind of like, you know, once you make this commitment to be involved in the military, you, you give up a, a lot of the other individual choices that you might have had. Let's talk to uh, Julie. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Julie in Delafield. Julie, Julie, Julie. Hi, yes. Hi, Julie. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, so my son uh, just graduated with the same boy. Oh, congratu- congratu- congratulations. You must be very proud. I, I am definitely yeah. proud. So I asked him in a text, what is going on with this boy, um, Cameron Kinley? Yep. And he said that he was, this is what he wrote me. He said he was a class president football player who got drafted by the NFL, but cannot go even though the other service academies are letting their athletes go mm-hmm. under these circumstances. So he's kind of on the kid's side um, of, like, apparently West Point. And uh, the Air Force Academy, I don't know, have let somebody go to the NFL or yep. NBA or whatever it is, and he he's on the you know on Cameron's side of the issue. What do you think? Well, <laughs> what do I think? I I think that um, I think I agree with you to the extent that, you know, they made a commitment. I know my son made a commitment. He certainly wasn't a football player or anything like that. Um, And he's doing his five years of service. Um, You know, and you spoke about people like Roger Staubach, um, Mm -hmm. Robinson, you know, these exceptional players. I don't think that this Cameron Kidley, in a sense, was maybe an exceptional player. Right. And maybe he should 
maybe he should fulfill his, uh, you know, his contract. They have to sign that contract yep. at the end, at the beginning of their third year. Okay, it's uh, you know, it's called the two for seven. You've already gotten two years of education. You're getting two more years of education plus five years of service. Right. So they have to make that decision back then that that's what they're going to do. Yep. Yep. Um, no, I th- th- thanks for calling, Julian. By the way, c- congratulations again. I'm sure you're very proud of your son. I, and, and the only correction I would make to what your son said is, my understanding is, and I'm correct, is Cameron Kinley was not drafted. So th- this isn't like, and, and I don't know that that changes the dynamic any, but it's not like he was a first or second round draft pick. He was offered a contract a- after the after the NFL does its seven rounds of drafts. There's all sorts of other players who want to try out for the team. He was offered to come in as an undrafted free agent, and and will 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 give you a tryout. And you know m- maybe he makes it. I mean, again, there there are undrafted free agents that, that play in the NFL. It's not it's not the easiest way to get there and maybe he'll he'll turn out to be this great player. But but he was an undrafted player. I, I guess I, I look at this though and I, I'm I'm sorta of with you. I I mean, this is the statement of the military uh, that the Pentagon chief says, said, look, our military academies exist to develop future officers who enhance the readiness of our military services. Graduates enjoy the extraordinary benefit of a military academy education at a taxpayer expense. Therefore, upon graduation, officers will serve as military officers for their minimum commitment of two years. And I, I understand we talk about the five-year commitment. My my understanding is it's it's at least it's a minimum of two years on active duty, and and then maybe you could go off it. But but regardless, he, he doesn't whether it's two years or the full five years before you could you know be allowed to pursue a career while you're not on active duty. Regardless of what that is, he he doesn't want to do. You know, any of it. And I guess I, I, I look at this, and he wants to delay it. If if the service academy decided, fine, we'll cut your break, you know, I, I guess that's their decision. And you may very well be right, and your son may very well be right, Julie, that, that maybe, maybe in the Army or the Air Force – it's not as big a deal, and they don't care about that as much, and they're willing to give those waivers. Okay, but uh, to your point, especially, and I guess I didn't realize this, that they made that commitment after their second year. I mean, all right, if if you're sitting there, it's after your sophomore year, and, and you have this choice, hey, I can either go, I can move somewhere else, and I can pursue an NFL career, or I can stay where I am. And, and clearly, it's an outstanding young man. I don't wish him ill at, at all. But he he made the commitment, and I think you you have to honor it, um, especially if the Navy says no. Let's talk to Sheila in Milwaukee. Hi, Sheila. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I just wanted to let somebody or everyone know that I heard an interview with this young man on, it was either Fox Sports or ESPN, but regardless, um, accepting of their decision, he in fact made the statement that he knew that God had other plans for him. So um, I think that he's getting kind of a raw deal. I think it's sports media um, and other people that are making the big to do about this and accepting of their decisions. 
Well, I think he's. I mean, thanks. Thanks for. I mean, I, I mean, he, he's accepting of it, and at least he's not saying that he's going to refuse not to refuse to go or anything like that. And I mean, I think he understands the situation he's in. But I, I will say this: you, th- this has become a bigger issue because now, for example, you've got the NFL Players Union, and I'm holding a story in my hand from the Washington Post uh, today. You know, it's talking about how the union is now wading in. They're trying to get uh, the NFL. They're trying to reach out to the NFL commissioner and get them to wade in and try to put pressure on the the Navy to rescind its particular policy. And I guess the bigger point is beyond this young man, if if in fact you're going to have agents and sports teams and unions that are going to try to leverage the military every time you have an athlete that the pro leagues think might have some potential, I mean, what 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 exactly is that going to mean? So I mean, I, I'm not disputing the fact that it's a fine young man. Sounds like he is. He's a class president at Navy. Um, he he was a, a a successful football player, and I wish him the best. I'm just saying that I I think. The idea of trying to pressure the Secretary of the Navy to try to reverse his decision is wrong, and I think he should go. It's that simple. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The Miracle League of Milwaukee is celebrating its 10th anniversary. That means an entire decade of bringing together children of all abilities to play organized baseball. The Miracle League believes everyone deserves the chance to play our national pastime, but they cannot do it without the support of the community, and that's where you come in. This is the final week of our campaign. This is the final day of our campaign. Find out how you can support this great local organization. Go to WTMJ.com slash CARES or text the word CARES to 855-616-1620. WTMJ CARES, sponsored by Gruber Law Offices. One call, that's all. This next story, I guess the, the 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 lead to it is, how desperate do you have to be to go through this humiliation? And, and I guess I just I, I hope I am never so desperate for for something that that I have to to do what what happened j- just yesterday, Jeffrey Tubin. Now, if you don't know who Jeffrey Tubin was, he he was the chief legal analyst for for CNN for a number of years. He was also um, uh, worked for the um, New Yorker magazine. All right, Jeffrey Tubin had been involved, by the way, in a sex scandal before all this. But if you remember, Jeffrey Tubin was the guy in October of 2020 who was on one of these Zoom calls, you know, in the pandemic, everybody's in a Zoom call, and it's October of 2020, it's before the election, and he's on the, the Zoom call with a whole bunch of other writers and big wigs, big wigs for, for New Yorker magazine. Now, this is before the 2020 election, and they're doing, like, their, their election coverage simulation and things like that. So he's, he's, he's wherever he is, and for reasons that still pass understanding. In the middle of this Zoom call, Jeffrey Tubin decides to pleasure himself. Now, Je- Jeffrey Tubin does not think <clears throat> that, that he is apparently on camera while he starts pleasuring himself, but he is. And so Jeffrey Tubin is pleasuring himself in the middle of this call, and all these people can watch this. All right, so then, then 
It becomes public that, that he did this. Now, he's 60 years old, okay? At some point in time, you do want to say, hey, Peter Pan, grow up. But, you know, it, it, but at the age of 30, you would think you would know better than to do this when you're on a call. You would think at the age of 15, you would know better to, to do this. But so he, he does this. There's a three-week investigation. Uh, the New Yorker magazine comes out and says that, that he's fired. You know, he, he's fired for doing this. And CNN, CNN suspends him. Well, CNN has made the decision to bring him back, bring him back, and he will continue as an analyst of legal affairs on CNN. So yesterday afternoon, they they brought him back, and it was his, like, return. And it's, it's one of these kind of, like, painful, awkward YouTube moments where the CNN anchor, Allison Camerata, says, well... You know, I feel like we should address what happened in the months since we've seen you. Um, to quote Jay Leno, what the hell were you thinking? And he then says, well, it was deeply moronic, my conduct and indefensible. I didn't think other people could see me. <laughs> okay. All, all right. He says, um, I, I'm really sorry. Um, I'm sorry for my wife, my family. I'm sorry to the people in the Zoom call. I'm sorry to the people at the <clears throat> New Yorker. Um, I'm sorry to my st- still colleagues at CNN, etc., etc." Okay, so, so, and it's this kind of cringe-worthy thing that, that's that's out there, making you wonder, all right, what, what what does this guy have on CNN that they would bring him back? I mean, seriously, first of all. How desperately do you need to be on television if you're Jeffrey Tubin that you know you're you're going to try to resurrect your career after this because I guarantee you from this moment on anytime anyone who knows this story sees Jeffrey Tubin on CNN you're not going to be listening to whatever comments he wants to offer and whoever he wants to trash or whatever you're going to be thinking this was the guy who was doing that on the Zoom call how are we supposed to take anything he says seriously so Every time he appears on television, he's setting himself up for public humiliation. In the same vein, what's with CNN? I mean, don't they realize that, all right, every time they put this guy on to try to be an analyst about some political event or some legal event or whatever, the the audience and all his colleagues are going to be thinking, okay, you know, this is the guy who was doing that on, on the Zoom call. I mean, I do think there's just some stuff that at least as far as the, the public life, you just don't come back from. I mean, this is like Anthony Weiner. I was reading a story about him. He was the, the New York congressman who was a leading candidate to be mayor. He was the one that kept exchanging the, the sex and doing the sexting with the, the strippers and with the, the young girls and things like that. He was married to... Um, um, Huma Aberdeen, who was Hillary Clinton's and still is, I think, her like top aide. And, and you know, he kept trying to have comebacks. At some point in time, you want to say, you know, maybe you got to dial back the public stuff. But but how desperate do you have to be to be on television that, that you're going to publicly humiliate yourself and your family on a constant basis? And, and again, what what's with CNN? You can't find somebody else who could do what Jeffrey Tubin does. Um, without like raising all these different issues, the, the whole thing is just mind-boggling to me. And and 
as somebody who who did daily TV for six or seven years, I mean, it's okay. People recognize you from TV, but at some point in time, you know, do you have absolutely no sense of shame at all? My guess is this return is relatively short-lived, and both Tubin and CNN will quickly come to find that, you know, there's some things you just don't come back from, including doing what this guy did under the circumstances that he did it uh, and, and the circumstances with which he did it. All right, when we come back, I want to talk about Tom's trolley folly. I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Rusty, before you leave, I, I'm, I'm getting ready to do an audience participation event. Would you like to participate along with the audience? Sure. Okay, all right, here, here, here is the challenge. Now, do not do this if you are driving your car. But, but uh, if you can do this safely, what I would ask you to do is, gentlemen, if, if you are in a position where you can safely look at your wallet and pull out a, a bill, doesn't matter what the denomination of the bill is, just pull out the bill. Ladies, this is not sexist. If you are in a position, too, where you can get to your your purse or if you've got bills, just, just pull out a bill. It does not matter what the denomination of the bill is. And don't do this if it is unsafe. But if you can do it safely, just, just pull out a bill. Now, Rusty, have you pulled out a bill? I've pulled out a bill. Okay, let me see. I can't. I, okay, okay. okay you've got a – that's a dollar bill. You've mm-hmm. got a dollar bill. Okay, I will I will participate as well. I will pull out a dollar bill. Grew, I would involve you in this, but you do not carry cash, do you? Nope, I'm broke. Okay, you all right. Okay. So so I, I have my dollar bill in my hand. Rusty has his dollar bill in his hand. All across our vast listening audience, if you can again, I don't want I don't want automobile crashes, I don't want to create, you know, problems. But if you can do this, okay, now take that bill, whether it's a dollar or a five dollar bill or a ten dollar bill or a twenty dollar bill or whatever. Okay. Now now put it in your left hand and hold it up. Now imagine. Now do not do this. This is theater of the mind. This is imagining. Imagine if in your right hand, you had a cigarette lighter, you know, one of those like Bic lighters and stuff. All right. Now, imagine taking that that lighter that is in your right hand, moving it over to where you are holding the bill in your left hand and lighting the bill on fire. So visualize this. You are standing there. You are setting that dollar bill, that $5 bill, that $10 bill, that $20 bill on fire. Just imagine setting it on fire. It burns. It's gone. Now, Rusty, you might fairly ask me, why in God's green earth would anybody set fire to this bill, whether it's 1, 5, 10, 20, right? It's a reasonable question. Right. You, you would say, Jeff... That makes absolutely no sense. Who in their right mind? That's the dumbest thing that I have ever heard, lighting a dollar bill or a $5 bill or a $10 bill or a $20 bill on fire, right? Right. All right. I'm with you. All right. Now imagine, imagine if instead of $1 or $5 or $10 or $20 bills, imagine if instead you had $128 million, $128 million just stacked up. And instead of having a, a Bic lighter, you had a flamethrower. Can you imagine taking that flamethrower, a big pile of $128 million, and setting that $128 million on fire? Now, I would imagine, Rusty, that if it's stupid 
to set a dollar bill or a $5 bill or a $10 bill on fire, it would be really, really dumb to take that flamethrower and light $128 million on fire, right? It wouldn't be the smartest decision in my mind. It would not be. Thank you, Rusty. Amen. Which brings me to the decision that we have made in Milwaukee. And I hate to say I told you so, but no, I don't. Because I told you so. This streetcar, Tom's Trolley Folly, that is precisely what we have done. It is like taking that dollar bill in your left hand and setting it on fire. We have taken $128 million of taxpayer money, and we have absolutely torched it. But it gets worse. Because not only have we set $128 million on fire, but now it turns out we are going to have to go to taxpayers and take $3 million more every year and bring it into where the toxic waste dump has been created by lighting the $128 million on fire. We're going to have to throw $3 million more to fill up the scorched earth that has been created by the $128 million flamethrower event. And we're going to have to put $3 million a year in just to cover up the debris and the environmental hazard that we have caused. Think I am being too harsh? I am not. I will explain and we will discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, we have set the tone. If if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I I have a link to a story which is a story that should have been appearing in the mainstream Milwaukee media over the course of the last couple years. But because we have people that don't like to, I don't know, rock the boat. Um, it it hasn't, but it underscores something that a number of us, myself included, have been saying since the beginning. It's from Fox 6, their investigative report, give them credit. Milwaukee streetcar struggles to rebound, bleeds red ink. I want to share a portion of it with you, offer some comments, and we're going to take phone calls on this. Um, the COVID, this is, um, this is their report. Um, and again, you, I've, I've got a link to it if you follow me on Twitter. The COVID-19 pandemic may have closed bars, restaurants, courthouses, and schools, but Milwaukee never stopped running the hop streetcar. City leaders say it was too expensive to shut down. Now the city finds itself in a financial hole as the streetcar struggles to rebound. Every 20 minutes, a modern electric train pulls up to a boarding station in Milwaukee's Cathedral Stair Square. More often than not, the platform is empty. It's only been a couple of people, says so-and-so, if not completely empty. She babysits a child who lives in the third ward and says they ride the hop once a week to the park about a mile north. I never worry about COVID safety, she said. I never worry about being too close to anybody. Built-in social distancing, though, was not what supporters had in mind for the $128 million people mover. The October 2018 launch came with great fanfare and incentive. Thanks to a 12-year, $10 million sponsorship agreement with the Pottawatomie Hotel and Casino, the city announced rides would be free for the first year. Two and a half years later, the novelty has faded. Not to say anything negative about it, says another Milwaukee resident, but it's a toy. The city still isn't charging a fare to ride the streetcar, and the hop is running a $3 million annual deficit. If people would just look at the numbers, the cost, the ridership, I think it's an easy conclusion to say this is a boondockle, says my friend Mike Nichols, who's the president of the Badger Institute. Who's paying for it, he asked rhetorically. Taxpayers in every way. In 2019, the first full year of the hop, an average of 2,079 people rode the streetcar. Eh, 
Ridership is through the roof, says the Public Works Commissioner. That's more than the 1,800 daily riders projected by transit planners. However, and the TV6, Channel 6 report makes this point, and it's a point I've been making for years, those numbers, that 1,800 rider number, was based on the assumption that passengers would be paying a dollar fare to ride it. They were not, because they knew that these numbers were cooked. They knew that if they charged a dollar for the thing to ride, you wouldn't get close to 1,800 rides. Yes, they got 2,000 rides a day, but when it was free. So this 1,800 projection that was used to justify all this stuff, it was bull. It was never going to happen. Um, it's nice, this is the story, says a man who occasionally rides the hop after having drinks downtown, but I don't know if I'd ride it if I had to pay for it. He says, all right, um, let's see. The, the mayor says, well, you know, public transportation nationally has taken a hit because of the pandemic. OK, that makes sense. And the Fox 6 report says that's true. The Milwaukee County bus system saw ridership drop by 50 percent in 2020. The hops ridership, though, plummeted further. At one point, it was down 87 percent. In fact, ridership was so low, council members started to question if it made sense to keep running the trains at all. But calls to temporarily shut down the streetcar were rejected when the Department of Public Works issued a memo saying it would cost almost as much to stop running the hop as it would to run the hop practically empty. That's because the city pays a private vendor a fixed amount to operate the streetcar each year, plus utilities and insurance. And there would be additional costs to retain the system, etc. In the end, the Department of Public Works estimated the city would save no more than $150,000 to $500,000 by suspending service. Worse, he wrote, a shutdown could put millions of dollars in federal grants used to build the system at risk. In other words, this is such an epic failure that it is too, it is too expensive for the taxpayers to allow this failure to be shut down. We are stuck. It gets worse. I'll give you the details in a minute. But we are committed to putting millions and millions of dollars in because this really is something that's been too expensive to fail, even though it is failing. All right. Streetcars in Kansas City, Tucson, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma City have begun to see a rebound this spring. The Milwaukee streetcar has not. In December of 2020, an average of 495 people rode the hop every day. Now, keep in mind, the projection was they claimed that you'd get 1,800 people paying a buck a day. It's free. They had 495. In April of this year, the average was 450. So Fox 6 does something that I think they could deserve credit for, intrepid journalism. We wanted to see what it looked like for ourselves. So on April 27th, a partly cloudy day with a high of 70 degrees, so it's not, you know, terrible, we watched a single streetcar platform for eight hours, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. In that time, 48 trains passed the Cathedral Square platform. 48 trains. 22 people got on board. This is eight hours, 48 trains, 22 people. 37 of those trains pulled up and pulled away without gaining a single new rider. That that is a staggering, epic failure. Plus, even if ridership does rebound, the story continues, the city is no closer than it was three years ago to collecting fares. The mayor says, now we're not looking at collecting fares because he knows 
that if you start charging anything to ride this thing, that the ridership is going to plummet to even lower levels. They don't even have the equipment to collect a fare. Um, in 2021, the streetcar will cost the city of Milwaukee more than $4.5 million to operate. The Department of Public Works expects to raise about $1.3 million from sponsorships and advertising. You do the math, that leaves a gap of $3.1 million. And it looks like they're either going to have to increase parking fees and fines or draw down the balance of the city's parking fund, um, which is funded through parking revenues and typically is helped to use to offset the city's other expenses. So what you're seeing is they're, they're going to be, they're going to have to draft and dip into general revenue in order to, to fund this thing that nobody's riding. And on top of that, we, we then get the mayor who refuses to acknowledge what a boondoggle this was because this is Tom Barrett's legacy and his signature. And, and he says, look, <laughs> this is the Fox 6 story. I, I mean, here, here's, here's the deal. One of the problems is that it doesn't go anywhere. I mean, it, it's just on this, you know, 1.8 or 2-mile loop that, that's there, and so it doesn't go anywhere. So the mayor says, look, he wants to expand. Oh, my God. He wants to expand the system into neighborhoods north and south. For it to really show its true value, we have to get it in neighborhoods. This is the... Department of Public Works guy. We've got to get it into Bronzeville. We've got it to get it to Walker's Point. And so we want more federal money to try to take this and, and, and expand it throughout. At what point in time? We have lit $128 million on fire, just lit it on fire. And now you have people that want to take, I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars or more and spend that Again, to create an even bigger dumpster fire of cash. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, these numbers don't lie. The the original projections of ridership were bogus because, you know, and I think people knew it. I got to believe they knew at the time that if it wasn't anything but free, you, you wouldn't have anywhere near what these ridership projections were. It's been a failure. It has disrupted downtown traffic in the extreme. And now we're talking about expanding it. I mean, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, because the argument is it doesn't go anywhere. So nobody's riding it now. So I have an idea. Let's spend hundreds of millions of dollars. Let's expand it so there's more people that won't end up riding it. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If it's true that taxpayers are now going to have to kick in over $3 million a year to subsidize this operation, at what point in time do we just pick up stakes and say, look, even if we've got to pay money back to the federal government, it's we, we can't keep throwing good money after bad. We discuss 799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, Kent in Pewaukee. Kent, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Well, real well, except when you look at these numbers. Glad I'm not paying taxes in the city of Milwaukee. Yeah, no kidding. But um, I guess my comment was, and I hope I got these kind of got these numbers right. I believe the city owes the federal government on grants like sixty-eight million dollars. Yes, if they can 
then then if they don't have to pay back if they get this thing done in the next 23 years or something. So at this point, you're better off to take that train and scrap it and pull the tracks up and throw the whole thing away and just pay off the $68 million and be done with it. Well, right. Or thanks. Or try. You see, you're, you're exactly right. See, that's that's what the real trap of this is, because the way I understand it as well, because we took this federal money and like 60 some million dollars to build this boondoggle, the, the commitment is you, you have to keep it. You have to keep operating it for the useful life or else you you potentially have to pay the federal government back. So that's why the taxpayers are, are committed to putting millions of dollars in every year. Because otherwise, they're going to have to pay this money back. They're going to have to pay the lump sum back. If I were the Barrett administration, I would be negotiating with my buddy Joe Biden, seeing, hey, can I get a deal on this? Look, we tried this. This whole thing isn't working. You can blame the pandemic or whatever and say, hey, can we get a deal on this? Because you know we can't continue to go to the hard taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee, when we're cutting police officers, we can't go and say we're going to take $3.1 million a year and dump it into trying to support this failing system. But that's not the approach they're taking. No, they're they're doubling, tripling, quadrupling down. Okay, it's not that we've just wasted $128 million of taxpayer money. We want hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars more because we we want to expand it. You know, we want it to have to go other places that people won't ride it to. How crazy is this? And, of course, this is something that we, we've all been saying, or at least many of us have been saying for for years, including some members of the Common Council. And, and yet, for a lot of reasons, people in the media, it's been kind of like the emperor has no clothes. It's not like, hey, don't you see the emperor's walking down the street and he's, he's naked? It's been, oh, we, we've got this wonderful thing, and this is this is going to be something that's going to be great, and this is going to make you know, move Milwaukee into the 21st century. Okay, well, well how, does, how does having a, a 48 train stop at a Cathedral Square station in the space of eight hours and 22 people get on, how does that move Milwaukee into the 21st century? And the answer is, it doesn't. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You know, it, it was so very apparent that as the, the fact that the, the trolley was just going to be just such a failure. That, remember, before they, they actually built the trolley, and by the way, you tried to drive downtown in the areas where the, the, the trolley tracks are. I mean, what we've done is in exchange for like something that nobody rides or almost nobody rides. And if you charge money for people to ride it, like we were originally told was going to happen, pretty much almost nobody would ride the, the thing. But we've, we've torn up the streets. You've got traffic congestion. You've got the interaction with cars and the, the empty streetcars. It's just a complete and total mess. You know, back in the beginning, it was apparent what a failure this was going to be because if you will remember that the city started during the summer with, with these rubber tire trolleys and, and they, you could ride for free. And it, at least at least the rubber tri- tire trolleys made sense to me because all right maybe you've got you know summerfest is going on at the lakefront so for the 11 days of summerfest now i know we're doing it over three weekends now but all right so people are going to be going down the lakefront so you, you haul out the rubber tire trolleys and you you know you start shuttling people down to the lakefront that that made sense to me but most of the year people aren't going to go be going down to the lakefront why in god's green earth are we spending however many millions of dollars we're spending to create this this different streetcar extension that's going to go from the bus depot down to the lakefront when nobody's going to be going down there in November and December and January and February and, and March. I mean, if, if you really wanted to talk about improving transportation, you, you would have either taken this money and put it into expanding the bus system, 
um, instead of competing with the bus system or, again, this trolley system. But when they tried the trolleys, nobody was riding the, the, the rubber tire trolleys that at least gave you the flexibility of saying, okay, you know, if, if there's rider, if there's routes where there's no ridership or something during a particular period, let, let's just cancel it. But that wasn't it. This was the bright, shiny bell and whistle that was out there, and it has been a complete and total failure. And now we're in a situation where we're being told, well, we've already invested all this money. We have no choice but to continue to throw good money after bad, because otherwise we're going to have to pay for this. And of course, none of the politicians that did this are accountable, and their response is just to kind of like, like double down. Let's spend more, more, and more money on this. I mean, it's seriously, it reminds me of the guy that goes to Las Vegas, and, you know, he's got the 5000 bucks that he's going to spend on the weekend, and, and you lose all that. That's all gone, but you know, you know, you just, you just know. Gosh, it's just if I, if I keep betting on more horse races, or I keep, if I'm just going to double down on all this because I know that next game is going to work out, so I'm going to mortgage my house. Well, it, it rarely works that way. Why don't we just recognize that we've dug ourselves a huge hole, and instead of saying let's continue to dig and use taxpayer money to do this, why don't we just fill in the hole? And, and just kind of move away, saying, look, we, we tried this, and it just flat out didn't work. But instead of that, instead of that, that's not how we're operating, which brings me to the latest story. Now, I, as I just said, instead of spending all this money, $128 million, and like I say, they want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars more, I, I could see you know putting money into the, the bus into the bus system, doing things like that. But we didn't do that. We decided we're going to go the light rail route. So now what we are doing with regard to the bus system, it's not as dumb as the trolley. So let me just say that, that the best thing I can say about this is, in my opinion, it's not as dumb as the trolley, but it is still an incredible, an incredible waste of tens of millions of dollars. And I am talking about the construction of the um, uh, the bus rapid transit line. They broke ground on this yesterday. The project is going to cost $55 million, and it's going to start around the lakefront. It's going to run up Wisconsin Avenue, where you're going to essentially take away a lane of traffic and create a dedicated bus lane. And it's going to go up Wisconsin Avenue, and then it's going to switch off to Blue Mound, and it's going to go up Blue Mound for a ways, and then it's going to come back to Wisconsin Avenue. And it ends up at the medical college. All right? That, that's nice. This, this project that's going to cost about 50-some million dollars is going to, they estimate, if you ride it the entire way, if you get on at the lakefront and you take it all the way out to Fredert, the expectation is it may reduce the amount of the time it takes to take that whole bus ride. It might reduce it from about 37 minutes to 29 minutes. So you're going to save about eight minutes if you ride it the entire way. Now, this is an expense, at an expense of, like I say, tens of millions of dollars. It is, you're going to take away lanes of traffic. The estimates are that, gee, if we did this, if we did this, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up an enormous amount of riders. And I'm looking at some of the numbers. As many as 9,000 new riders will use the transit system every day. Um, 
this will increase ridership by up to 40 percent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the majority of this is, once again, it's being paid for by the taxpayers. Now, it's coming out of the left pocket because 40-some million comes from the federal government. So it's federal tax dollars. So that's out of the left uh, pocket. The balance of this is coming out of the right pocket, which would be, again, like local taxpayers and things like that. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you're pulling out a lane of traffic. You're saving, at best, eight minutes. Eight minutes at best. And that's for somebody who rides it the entire way. And just like it was ridiculous to claim that the hop was going to have 1,800 riders a day, this idea that as many as 9,000 new riders will use the system every day on the route and on other routes in the corridor because you still have to presumably take another bus to get to the high-speed bus route, I'm I'm sorry, I just flat-out don't believe it. 855-616-1620, that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You could have accomplished the same thing for a fraction of the price simply by i don't know giving the bus rider bus the buses on on a couple of these you know east west routes giving the bus drivers an advice where they could you know um alter the the lights so if they're coming up on a red light they could hit this button and it stays green for a little bit longer so they can go through you you could have gotten almost the same amount of savings and you wouldn't have time savings and you wouldn't have had to spend millions of dollars tens of millions of dollars 855-616-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line all right are enormous numbers of people going to ride this Or are we going to be looking at this three years from now or whenever it gets started the same way we're looking at the trolley right now? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Here's a text, Jeff. Note that uh, they claim 9,000 additional riders. That would use all of the available seats every trip on every bus for the entire operational hours. Well, that's not quite true because they say the 9,000 riders are going to be people on the BRT and additionally on, on other bus lines as as well. We'll get to that in a second, which obviously won't ever happen. I think it's much more likely this will only benefit a few hundred people a day at best, most of whom already don't drive their cars and already ride buses on that route. Absolutely. And, and see, this is what's so frustrating to me, that there's no critical analysis of this at all. I, I'm looking at one of these initial studies that's out there, and, and they claim that this service is going to benefit drivers by taking more than 6,700 cars off the road and reducing the amount of miles people drive by up to 17 million miles every year. Does nobody say to these people, what are you smoking? I mean, all right, look, I, I agree with the texter. Here, here's the bottom line. Yeah, if you already ride this route and you can save, you know, three or four minutes, all right, that, that's great. You save three or four minutes out of your life. But is, is a savings of at met best, again, we're assuming lakefront out to the medical college, You're, they're talking seven minutes. All right, is, is is that going to be something that all of a sudden says, gee, I can save seven minutes, so I've never thought of riding the bus before, so now I'm going to jump on the bus? Well, of course not. That That's not how, how people think. Plus, you, you've got to drive to get to the bus lines. So is somebody, let's take an example of somebody who, let's say you, you, you've got to go out to Freighter for, for an appointment, and you live in Shorewood. 
All right, so what what are you going to do, assuming that you have a car? I mean, of course, if, if you don't have a car now, you're already on the bus system. So you pick up the bus in Shorewood, you take it down to wherever this you would hook up with the line that already runs out Wisconsin Avenue, and you get on it. Okay, so it, but if you've got a car, you've got an appointment that, that's out at Freighter. So what are you going to do? Are you going to say, okay, I'm going to continue to drive my car, or I can save seven or eight minutes, so I'm now going to leave my car parked in the garage. I'm going to wait for whatever my north-south bus is. Dum, da, dum, da, dum, da, dum. I'm going to wait for that to come. I'm going to hop on that. I'm going to take it down to where I can get the high-speed bus line. I'm going to wait for that to come by, dum, da, dum, da, dum, da, and I'm going to save seven minutes. Well, you, you, you know, by, by driving, you're, you're probably out there 45 minutes earlier anyhow, but, but nobody – critically analyzes these numbers at all. We just blindly say, oh, let's do this. Now, I appreciate there's folks out there that think that what this really is, is again, just a stalking horse for, again, light rail or expanding the trolley or whatever. We'll have the bus line. We'll already have this. So now let's see if we can get some other president to give us hundreds of millions of dollars more. And let's try to run the trolley system out to freighter or, you know, whatever. Um, Jeff, I don't think the Wisconsin Avenue bus rapid transit line makes any sense. It wastes transportation dollars while robbing residents of precious street parking and drivers of a lane of traffic. I think this is a Trojan horse to create a right of way um, at mostly federal expense for a future extension of the hop. Uh, I think that there's a potential for that. Jeff, for what it's worth, I, worth, I have a feeling it'll be a, as much of a waste of money as the trolley is. Well, yeah. I mean, just and again, just just think of what you could have done with that money. I mean, rather than trying to save at best, we're going to save seven minutes and coming up with all these the, these kind of like jury rigged estimates that don't make any sense at all. And any reasonable person would look at them and know this isn't going to happen. You know, think about like taking that money and again, maybe putting it into you know more bus routes to increase bus accessibility. We're doing all this to save seven minutes if you drive the whole line. Seven minutes. I mean, it's not like, gee, you can suddenly jump on a high-speed train and go from Milwaukee to Chicago in 45 minutes. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about seven minutes if you ride the whole thing. So this idea that – and you still got to catch the bus. So you still got to catch the bus. So if you live – Anywhere away from the high-speed bus line, you're still going to have to drive your car, figure out some place to park to catch the high-speed bus line, or you're going to have to take on another bus, and waiting for that bus, well, that's going to take you more time in the first place. But no critical thinking about this at all. Um, Jeff, being a user of the Chicago public transportation, Milwaukee could take some lessons from their system. They manage the buses, the trains, and the loop well despite the political issues. Well, look, Chicago is different than Milwaukee. In, in Chicago, it is very, very difficult because of traffic to drive. Right, Owning a car in Chicago is very, very problematic. It's difficult to drive. Milwaukee is not a hard town to get around in with, with driving. And the truth of the matter is, for most people, you know, the, it is they would prefer to take a car than they would to ride the bus. Some people can't understand that. And I'm not saying those people should not have service, but I'm just saying to take tens of millions of dollars to make it now more difficult for cars to drive, to take away lanes of traffic, to make parking more difficult, to save at best seven minutes on a service makes no sense at 
all. I mean, period. Let's see. Um, 855-616-1620. Where do they get these numbers of riders from? The air? Also, why, if we, the taxpayers, have to pay for this, why do we have no say about the careless ways of spending our money? Well, because because it's, it's again, it, it's federal money. This is this is the federal government. They're throwing forty million dollars at us. So you know how can we afford not to do this kind of thing? Well, all right. We, we've now seen the lesson with the hop, where we took all this federal money, and despite the fact that it is a complete and total failure, we now can't get out of it because you'd have to pay the federal money back. So now you're going to have to come up with millions of dollars a year to continue to support it. Millions of dollars a year, which could be used to hire police officers, could be used to improve roads could be used for all sorts of things, but now we have to do it to keep the hop running so you can have, I don't know, countless stops at the Cathedral Square um, thing where it turns into an air trolley where it's carrying nothing but air. We don't learn from our mistakes. And I understand whenever I do these topics, I get these nasty sort of uh, texts saying, oh, you're, you're just against mass transit. No, no, I'm not. I'm against spending money on bright, shiny objects that aren't going to work. I am against having some of these studies that are predetermined. We want to try to justify the stuff that makes sense and having these numbers that are thrown out and no critical analysis of the numbers, whether it's the number of people that were going to ride the hop if you had to pay a dollar for it, or whether it's the number of cars that are going to be taken off the street or the number of people, 9,000 new riders a day, merely because you've got a line that saves you eight or nine minutes to go from one end of the city to the other. I mean, eight eight or nine minutes, it, it, maybe if it got you there in five minutes, but it doesn't. It's the difference between, what, 29 minutes, a half hour, and 37 minutes. I mean, really, that's going to make you say, gee, I'm going to get out of my car and I'm going to drive and hop on this bus line because I'm going to save seven minutes. Well, you, you you lose most of that time by finding a place to park and then waiting for the bus. Very, very frustrating. And again, I, I hate to t- say I told you so. I told you so about the hop. And I think, you know, two years from now, three years from now, we're going to be having the same conversation about the BRT line when you have all the stories about congestion along that route because we've taken away a lane of traffic and you haven't seen substantial increases in the number of riders. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Rusty, I, I'm curious. I, I, every once in a while, as part of your duties, you have to go out into the community and do reporting and stuff like that, right? Yep. Do, do, we, do we send a bodyguard with you? Do you, have, do you have somebody that's there to protect you in case you get, like, unruly fans or maybe one of the subjects of the reporting gets a little bit upset? Do we have a bodyguard with you? No, I'm typically no. alone. You're typically alone. Yeah, me me, me, me too, as a, as a general rule, and I know people would find that hard to believe, but every once in a while I antagonize people and stuff like that. But no, when we're out in public, there's no bodyguard. I ask this because I, I was just – I'm just looking at this story. Now, last night I, I did not watch the Bucks game in real time. I, I went to – um, my, my grandson had his track, so we went out. We were in Wauwatosa, watched the track meet, and then went out to dinner afterwards. And I, I listened to the Bucks game the last like quarter or so as I was in the car driving home. But I had taped it, so I, I wanted to at least kind of fast forward it. So I missed this. But about with about three minutes, four minutes left in the third quarter, and it was a hard-fought game, you know, hard-fought game, uh, the Bucks, P.J. Tucker, who is their – 
he, he's the guy they brought in at midseason for defense. He's one of these sort of a, aggressive defenders, kind of in-your-face sort of guy. But that that's the nature of, of his game. And I, I'm sure he irritates some of the players because, I mean, he, he plays hard defense. And so in the third quarter, what happened is he's charged with um, with guarding Kevin Durant, who is the Nets star and the two of them kind of have this exchange and all of a sudden so they're they're going like jaw to jaw i mean yelling at each other and all of a sudden you see this big guy dressed in black who comes running from the net i'm watching it now who comes running from the the nets off the nets bench and pushes Tucker. I mean, he's like the first guy into this and, and pushes Tucker. And then the, the bench is kind of empty and stuff like that. Well, it, it's now being reported that this, this guy who did this, um, was, was Durant's personal bodyguard who is apparently on the payroll of the New York Nets. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's like, they've got his, his bodyguard on the payroll. So the bodyguard, it rushes in and shoves, shoves, shoves Tucker, which, I mean, makes you wonder, you know, what what's going on here, you know? Well, there have been those couple of incidents in the past few weeks of uh, fan interactions. I, right. I don't know if that's the initial intent for this or if this is just Durant's personal right, well, contract. He, right, it's, per, it's personal bodyguard who is on, the, the, but the Nets pay for him, but he's Durant's, he, it's not a Nets security guy. I, I mean, it's... It's Durant's personal bodyguard who runs onto the court and pushes Tucker. Now, I, my my only point is, oh, I mean, I I understand that you you have crazy fans that come onto the stands and out of the stands and stuff. And I mean, I I I don't have any problems if the teams have have their own security people to help supplement like arena security and stuff. That just makes sense to me. And I certainly don't have any issue if Kevin Durant, you know, has a has has a bodyguard, whether he's paying for it or whether the Nets are paying for it, you know, as part of his travels. Because I'm I'm sure you know you're out in public. I'm sure you get crazy people that come up all the time. But but this Nets bodyguard, this Durant bodyguard, was not was not breaking up the thing. I mean, he comes running in and he pushes the Bucks player. You know, it's. I, I think, well, the way the athletic is reporting it is there there are reasonable questions about how aggressive a team security guard should be towards an opposing player. I mean, this is I mean, um, the security guard didn't uh, this is the way athletics report. He didn't deescalate the incident. He runs up and he just pushes Tucker and further enrages him, which is um, you would think that the NBA would. Would, would kind of take a look at this and, and maybe say, you know, keep your security people on the floor, keep them on the bench when it's an altercation between players. But we're not sending you out with bodyguards, huh? No, I usually get along pretty well with people, so. Yeah, okay, so if you, all right, well, it's, well <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm picturing, that there's going to be some YouTube video of you going like, like, toe-to-toe with, uh, you know, with, with somebody in connection with covering the streetcar or whatever that is. And I, I didn't like the way you guys are talking about this and stuff. No, 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 nobody would do that to you. But, um, yeah, it turns out, so if you happen to see that on TV, the, the, the big guy, and he's like a, he's a mountain of a guy, the guy who comes in and pushes the Bucks player, um, he, he was Kevin Durant's bodyguard on the Nets payroll. <sighs> This this series is going to get interesting. I think. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I, you know, the Bucks got to figure out how to 
make Giannis stop jacking up three-point shots that he can't hit and maybe figure out if they pass the ball to open players to take open shots. The chances are better of them winning, but I digress. All right. One of the best financial investments I made in my life was when I when I bought my first house. And I, I've only really owned, you know, around here I, I've owned, bought a house in 1988 and then, you know, sold it a couple of years ago and now have the place where I live in now. So um, it was... I, I, but I knew all along that, you know, it just it didn't make sense to me to continue to pay rent. I, I wanted to buy the house and I bought a house in 1988 and you know sold it for a lot more money than uh, 30 years later, sold it for, you know, a lot more money than I paid for it. Now you had to put in money over the years and things like that. But I thought it was it was a great investment. It was sometimes it was frustrating. I lived in an older house. I am not handy. So I had to I had to call plumbers. I had to call electricians. I had to call carpenters. I mean, I had all sorts of people on my speed dial for, you know, knowing that, you know, there was going to be stuff that went wrong and there was always things that went wrong and it wasn't as energy efficient as I would like. And, you know, and the heating bills were high and the taxes were high. But nevertheless, I have never looked back. It was I love that house. Um, just like I love the home that I am in now. So it was a great investment. So I no regrets at all. I bring this up because there's a recent survey that came out from an outfit called Bankrate, and what they do is they go out to millennials. This is this is my producer Gru's category, and they 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 identify millennials who have purchased homes, and millennials in this case it's it's people they, they define them as age 25 to 40. All right, so they go to people 25 to 40. And, and they ask them, hey, do you have any regrets about buying a home? And interestingly enough, 64% of people age 25 to 40 say, yeah, we, 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 we regret, we regret buying the home. Now, it doesn't mean that they say that they would never have done it or if they had the chance to do it over again, but they say, yeah, we, we have regrets about this. In contrast, about a third of baby boomers aged 57 to 75, um, say, no, it, we, they say that they have regrets. So what the survey found is the older the buyer, the less likely they were to have home buyer regret. And so when they try to break this down among the millennials, okay, what, what do you regret about this? And about 21% say, well, we had no idea that there was going to be that the maintenance costs that were involved. We didn't realize that um, we were going to lose some flexibility because every month we were going to have to make that mortgage payment. We didn't realize how much the insurance payment was going to be. It didn't occur to us that... Um, refrigerators and dishwashers and washing machines wear out and they need to be replaced, et cetera, et cetera. So in essence, some of them are saying, we, we just had no idea what these costs were going to be and what the maintenance were going to be. And yeah, we've got two thirds almost, or 65%, say we've got significant regrets. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, if you are or have been a homeowner, I want to tee this up. Do, do you regret making that purchase? And in particular, if you are in that that age range, the, the millennial age range, the 25 to 40, I would be particularly interested in talking to you. Do you, if you own a home, or you and the bank own a home, which is typically what happens, do, do you do you regret making that home purchase? And, and if so, why? Is it because of unexpected expenses? Is it because, gee, I'm tied down to the house now? Be Is it I'm... I'm 
you know, I'm, I'm mortgage rich, but cash poor. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For, for me, even with the aggravations of home ownership, and believe me, there are some aggravations to home ownership, I've never had any regrets about buying houses. We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There's this new study that's out that says that millennials in particular, almost 65%, when they're asked about do you regret buying a home, that they say, yeah, they, they've got regret. And it's not saying that they wouldn't do it, but, that I, it, you know, look, I understand the frustrations of, of buying homes, um, but I will tell you, I've never regretted it. Yes, is it frustrating when, oh, you've got a leak in the roof or, yeah, you've got to replace the furnace or, oh, the toilet's clogged or whatever and you got to call the plumber and that type of stuff. I, I get it, particularly as somebody who lived for 25 or 30 years in an older home where um, stuff used to go wrong all the time. But I, I never regretted home ownership. Let's talk to Chris and Slinger. Hi, Chris. Hi, thanks for taking my call. What do you think? Um uh, I I love owning a home. I regret nothing about it. We've been in ours for 12 years, and I, I can't wait till we own our next bigger one. I mean, I know there's challenges and things, but I guess I enjoy that. Um, um, maybe for some people that, you know, wouldn't enjoy the challenge of taking care of this or that that goes wrong in your house, fine. But uh, it's been nothing but I, I I, yeah. I would never want to go back to renting. I, I love owning a home. Just, well, yeah. just love it. Right. No, th- thanks for calling. I think for, for most people, especially with the real estate market being like it is now, you, you know, you're in most cases, it's it's going to be an investment, but it's also an investment you live in. And like I say, I mean, I own my house long enough that you know I made I made money, I made I made a good deal of money on 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 selling it after I owned it for thirty years and things like that. And I, I think that's the case for a lot of people. Jeff, I do have regret, but I will say many of the problems I had were due to my own mistakes. I bought in two thousand six at the high in the market, and in the end, when my needs changed, I had to sell and I lost a lot. I know better now and try to not look at real estate as an investment, but rather a home to customize and enjoy as a place to live and raise a family. Jeff, I'm 65, no regrets buying my home. It is mine. It is my castle. Maintenance is just a part of life. Yeah, it is. Now, I think it, you know, I mean... I, I fully confess one of the first couple of years when I was a home buyer was I surprised at how much maintenance there was. Um, yeah. Jeff, but, but, but still it's, it's just, you got to live somewhere, don't you? Jeff, I've been a home owner since 1983 and have never regretted the decision. We currently live in our second home in Wauwatosa and could not afford to move. The apartments in Tosa are not affordable, even though they keep building more. Many young people don't want to deal with the work in maintaining it. Well, yeah, there is that. Um, element um, of it where you, you do have to do it. Jeff, I was home broke. I had a house, but no money to go on vacations or do anything social. Not everybody is meant to own a house. It's expensive, right? And I think that that's, I think sometimes that is a surprise to folks because you don't realize the, the, the costs, you know, and, and sometimes I'm not sure, I'm not sure lenders always do as good a job as they should at explaining that it's not just going to be that monthly mortgage payment that's going to be there. And then you're going to have the the insurance costs. And then you are going to have the roof is going to go out or the furnace is going to need to be replaced. Or, you know, you're, you're going to have those different situations that are going to come out. And oh, by the way, yeah, every year the municipality you live in is going to want, what are those things? Yeah, they're going to want the uh, property taxes. Jeff, I'm 30 years old. My wife and I bought our first home two years ago. Our only 
regret is buying a house in this particular location. Um, city of Milwaukee, constant gunshots, car thefts, and the like have really soured my opinion of the city. Um, Jeff, I'm 33 years old. I bought my second home last year, made a bunch of money on my first. Jeremy says, I have absolutely no um no uh, regrets. Jeff, I'm 32 and I'm ashamed to be a millennial. I am very handy and work proudly on my home with my wife who always helps me with what she can. I love fixing and changing our home to make it our own and giving it a greater resale value. Millennials are so awful to me. I hate being associated with lazy parent dependent people. All right, that just before you send me the text, that's not Jeff Wagner. That's one of our texters who says he's 32. Um, I, you know, I, I don't mean to be harsh about that. Jeff, we bought our first home without an inspection. Rookie mistake. A month after we moved in, it rained, the roof leaked, and the basement flooded. Yeah, there was, matter of fact, I had a topic um, on that point worked up that maybe we'll get to someday about with the real estate market being so hot nowadays and it being such a, a seller's market. People are, are so desperate to get into some houses that they're not only they're not only being willing to pay more than the asking price, but in some cases they're they're, they're willing to to waive the appraisal clause. Clause the appraisal clause is something that says, um, you know, that if the bank doesn't think it's worth what we're paying, you know, we can get out. Well, okay, that you waive the appraisal clause. That's not a big deal as long all that means is you're going to have to come up with some more cash for the down payment. And as long as you've got the cash for the down payment, you're not in trouble. But other people are waiving the home inspection clause. And while I, I never lecture anybody on stuff, and I'm not a real estate lawyer, nor do I pretend to be one, there, there's no way in God's green earth that I would buy a house without having a home inspection done. Because, okay, the roof leaks, the basement floods. Um, you know, maybe you find out that there's mold or something in the wall. I, you know, whatever. There's just, there's just so many possibilities of stuff that could go really, really wrong and dramatically affect the value of the home. Uh, no way would I make would would I make an offer, no matter how much I wanted a house. No way would I waive the um, would I waive the inspection clause, Jeff. Within the first three years of buying my home, I needed a new well, a new pump, and a furnace. Um, still, I have no regrets. Um, Jeff, I've never regretted buying any of my four homes. Um, um, one we built, uh, the last is a condo. Younger buyers have no idea the homeowner responsibilities in a condo either. Yeah, well, there, there's that. Jeff, I'm 27, and my girlfriend and I bought a house a couple years ago. Best decision I ever made. I love the responsibilities and maintaining my property. I've also built so much equity with the rise in property values. I feel like there's a direct split between my friends. My conservative friends think like me and love their properties, although my liberal friends hate it, and I've noticed them selling to rent um, or buy condos. Not sure if it's true. It's just something I've noticed among my friends. Well, I think, you know, and and by the way, owning a home isn't for everybody. I I fully get that because you do. I, I mean, I... I mean, when we first bought our house, I mean, we we stretched ourselves to the limit. I I remember this. We didn't have furniture in the living room for about four or five years because, you know, every dime we made, you know, every extra dime we had went into the mortgage payments and trying to get on top of all that stuff. Now, eventually it it worked out. We were lucky. But, um, yeah, you I just you you will never not sell me on the value of homeownership. But you got to know what it's all about when you get into it or before you get into it when we come back. We'll find out what Eric and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.